If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about the tragic little life of an 11-month-old baby boy known only as Richard. Described as a bastard child, His widowed mother struggled against insurmountable odds in the hope that he would survive. Only those she was forced to trust with his care became his killers. Murder Mile is research used in the original police files. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 103, The Beating of Baby Richard. Today, I'm standing on Bourchier Street in Soho, W1 one street west of the brutal attack on Parisian sex worker Jacqueline Bivy, Several doors down from the sex shop slayer Richard Rhodes Henley. 200 feet west of the deaf-mute murder of Rose O'Neill. And with the rear windows of the Admiral Duncan pub and Dutch layers pad peering over, we're only a one-minute walk from the French house, where William Raven met his lovers, his robbers, and his executioners. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Hidden amongst the gloomy darkness of Old Compton Street and Maid Street, Bouchier Street is little more than a side alley between Dean Street and Wardour Street. First known as Milk Alley, 
From 1883 to 1937, it became Little Dean Street, before being renamed after the late rector of St Anne's Church. And having been demolished three times, once by a bomb, nothing of historical significance remains. Seeing only the backs of four-storey buildings on both sides, Bouchier Street has no houses, no shops, no life, nor colour. It's little more than a series of brick walls, back doors, fire escapes, gates, a bin store, the locked entrance of an underground car park, a public relations firm, a set of flats, a single solitary tree which looks lost, and half of a road which stops dead, smack bang in the middle, for no reason. Being grey, dark, gloomy and drab, it's only used as a quick cut through for savvy locals. A hidey hole where taxi drivers take sneaky tea breaks. A little snook where embarrassed skateboarders repeatedly fail to do even the most basic of tricks. A breathing space where editors get high, having wasted yet another day editing shite, like Britain's wackiest celebrity patio makeovers from hell. But mostly, it's a place where incontinent men come to piddle, having just left the pub and wishing they wore tenor lady. It truly is a pointless part of Soho. A place so forgettable, it's almost as if someone has deliberately tried to erase its past. And maybe they did. As many years ago, when Little Dean Street was an impoverished slum, a desperate woman came here to put her cherished child in the care of another couple. And although the street, the building and the people have long since been reduced to dust, Unable to erase the horror of this crime, some people say that even today you can still hear the baby scream. As it was here on Tuesday, the 4th of October 1853, in a squalid first floor lodging at 16 Street, that the beating of baby Richard began, and 10 days later, he would be dead. Richard was doomed to live a sad and tragic life before his life had even begun. History is primarily concerned with four things. Kings, colonies, creations and conquests. Almost all of which are the preoccupation of the prosperous and the privileged. And no matter how little their lives have amounted to, their drooling biographers detail their minutiae of their privileged pampered existence in microscopic detail. Whereas the poor and the ordinary, unless the crime or their death is particularly cruel or grisly, they will only ever be listed as a statistic, a footnote, or entirely forgotten. Richard's mother was a nobody, a nothing, a worthless wretch whose name, age, and place of birth wasn't worth the courts recording correctly. So although she's known as Eliza Ryle, possibly the surname of the child's father, Mrs. Banks, possibly a mistake, and Elizabeth Higgs, possibly her married name, as her birth name was unknown, all we know is that Elizabeth Higgs was a middle-aged single mother with dark ragged hair, pale anemic skin, 
and a gaunt, haunted face. But her look made sense, given the stress of her miserable little life. With so much confusion over her names, there are a few possibilities we can assume. If she was born Elizabeth Banks and became Mrs. Higgs, but was now an unmarried mother called Mrs. Ryle, with the life expectancy amongst the city's poor being in the mid to late 40s, it's likely she was a widow. Being uneducated, unskilled, and recently bereaved, with no known next of kin, no home, no savings, and no regular income, beyond the meagre money she could scrape up by toiling away in a series of poorly paid jobs, Eliza was the poorest of the poor, who lived from day to day and penny to penny, never knowing how long she could last. According to her own account, she had three young children. But as none of them were listed as living with her in her squalid leaky lodging at number 3 Peter Street, the only other option is that, being deemed by the state that she was incapable of raising them alone, all three were condemned to a life in the workhouse, where they would work hard, eat poorly, be beaten, and the odds of their survival were slim. And yet, they were her children who had survived, as this frail widow had three more who had died. Still being only babies, it began as flu-like symptoms, first with tiredness, restlessness, and redness of the skin, descending into the agonizing swelling of the baby's body and brain, and gripped by a high fever, as hospitals were places not for the poor to get well, they were only the sanctuaries for those whose money earned them the right to live. Three of Eliza's babies had died of water on the brain. On an unrecorded date in November 1852, being described by the court as a bastard, as if his fatherless status meant that his life should be worth less, the fourth of Eliza's surviving children was born and she named him Richard. Being too poor to be baptized, his birth was sparsely recorded, and he never received a surname, whether as Banks, Ryle, or Higgs. With his birth father absent, and the government having enslaved every woman into marriage merely to survive, as the Poor Law Amendment Act of 1831 penalized and demonized all single mothers to be the sole breadwinners of their brood of bastards or be condemned to a slow death in the workhouse. This morally self-righteous law had created an unjust system which was hailed by the lawmakers but was ripe to be abused by cruel people keen to make money out of poor women in a bad way. At the start of November 1853, as a mild autumn slunk behind the thick brooding clouds and the sharp winter winds and bitter rains drew in earlier than expected, 11-month-old Richard caught a cold. He had a slight sniffle, a raspy cough, and his putty-white skin was all warm, red and sticky to the touch. And although his symptoms were mild, as Eliza knew, a simple cold could kill. Her baby needed medicine, 
But without money, Eliza needed to work. But to work, as a single mother, she would be forced to find someone trustworthy, but cheap to look after her baby. The couple she was recommended lived at 6 Little Dean Street. And they were called Mr and Mrs Birch. On the bitterly cold morning of Tuesday the 4th of October 1853, at a little after dawn, having wrapped baby Richard in several woollen layers, as still being sniffly, his blue eyes, red nose and pale cheeks were the only features which peeped out of this thick toasty bundle. Eliza left her lodging at 3 Peter Street, crossed over Wardle Street and entered Little Dean Street, a distance of less than 100 feet. Working seven days a week, 16 hours a day, just to afford the basics, food, lodging, a doctor's fee, medicine, and the half-crown a week the carer would cost, Eliza had to work flat out. But being local, although it ripped her soul apart to be parted for so long from her baby, knowing this was only a temporary measure until he was well, and that a good woman would feed him, bathe him, and wean him, she could still see her boy two or three times a day, and when she needed to, she could sleep. As yet another dark and dingy Soho slum, Little Dean Street was a thin airless alley, barely 150 feet long by 5 feet wide, with two long lines of rickety ramshackle buildings stretching four and five stories high on both sides. But as each tier hung over, so that every tossed bucket of festering human waste didn't slop or drip down the neighbours' windows below, with barely a crack of sunlight above, as both roofs almost touched, the sunlight rarely, if ever, shone on Little Dean Street. It was leaky, dirty and cold. It was overrun with rodents, overflowing with effluent. Every stair was a death trap, and the back alley below was a seedy hideaway for gin swiggers and the sexually depraved. As the fetid air hung with the stench of an abattoir, a tannery and an open cesspit, and although a rat-infested hovel prone to outbreaks of typhoid and cholera was not uncommon, for many, this was home. As planned, Eliza knocked on the wooden door of house number six. Greeted by Mrs. Birch, she handed the young woman half a crown, a blanket, a woolen shawl, a small sack of food, and as many women would be forced to do, her baby too. That night, just shy of midnight, as a gaunt and haunted woman, who was weak with exhaustion, having worked from dawn till dusk, made the last of her three trips that day to see her baby boy in the Birch's first floor backroom lodging. She cradled him, she breastfed him, she put him to bed, and she stumbled the short walk back to her home at Peter Street for a few scant and anxious hours of sleep. Eliza's day was as ordinary as many other working-class women in that era, who had been forced into a very desperate situation simply to ensure the safety and future of their families. By chance, 
Putting her trust in a stranger, Eliza had sealed her baby's fate. And ten days later, Richard would be dead. In the ensuing trial, into the death of a bastard child known only as Richard, as was common practice, Mr. and Mrs. Birch were permitted to face, question, and interrogate their accuser, Miss Elizabeth Higgs. A mother still in grief, as nature cruelly continued producing her dead baby's milk in her aching breast. During the trial, many details would emerge. Some were expected, but others would be truly horrifying. Going under the seemingly respectable guise of Mr. and Mrs. Birch, neither were married and both were born liars. Described as dirty-looking, 22-year-old Joseph Birch was a thief, a layabout, and an abusive drunk with a fiery temper, spawned from a close but dishonest family of petty crooks. With a nine-month-old bastard of their own to feed, his girlfriend Caroline Nash claimed to be a carer. But lacking patience, and cursed by a cruel and nasty streak, she was less of a mother, more of a monster. Earning a paltry fee, Caroline couldn't care a hoot about some other woman's sprog, let alone her own, who was left to lie in his own filth, crying and sore, as she'd scream, Shut up! and be quiet, whenever it wailed. And yet, when Eliza was due, pretending to be all sweetness and cuddles, both babies were miraculously calm, quiet, and a little bit sleepy, as their milk had been laced with a large slug of rum. So by the end of the first night, as an exhausted Eliza fed her baby in the dark of the Birch's back room, Although this clammy tot still wheezed and sneezed, as she put him to bed, she was reassured as her little boy soundly slept. But his silence would belie the abuse that this helpless little baby would suffer. On Wednesday the 5th of October, as the first of two visits this determined but drained woman would make that day, with three dead babies plaguing her thoughts and seeing similar symptoms return. In those few precious moments that her work would allow, she focused on keeping him fed, warm and soothed. So as far as we know, she was unaware what had and would happen to her baby. At two o'clock in the afternoon, although it always echoed to the hubbub of everyday life, a shout a scream, a laugh, and a cry. Inside the wooden walls of 6 Little Dean Street, the familiar pained wailing of this feverish and restless boy had grown even more heartrending, as the vicious scorn of two unfit adults did nothing to soothe or stifle his screams, as Caroline and Joseph repeatedly slapped, smacked, and beat Eliza's helpless little boy. From across the landing, fellow lodger, a mother of three, Anne Dakin, shouted, For God's sake, don't beat the baby so! Only to brusquely feel the hot lash of Caroline's curt tongue, as she barked back, I will do as I see fit, and threatened, Shut it, 
or I'll hurl you down the stairs and snap your bloody neck. All of which were backed up by the drunken brutal bulk of a slurring bottle-swigging Joseph, who kicked open Anne's door and unleashed a volley of unholy abuse as she shielded her babies. And although Anne did threaten to call a constable, fearing for her life, she didn't. In fact, no one said a word. Not to the police, the landlord, or even to Eliza. And moments later, the baby's screams were smothered. Just shy of midnight, as an exhausted Eliza fed her subdued child, with his wheezing deep, his little chest rattling, and his pallid skin all hot and blotchy, sensing the kind of fever which had already stolen half of her brood, Eliza only saw the symptoms she feared the most, and not the obvious signs of abuse. In court, with the cruel couple's litany of lies backed up by his dishonest family, Joseph dismissed this beating as being just a few pats on the bottom. Caroline claimed that when the baby came into her care, it was sicker than it actually was, and with her boyfriend's next of kin, concocting an alibi that neither Caroline nor Joseph were there that night or any of the subsequent nights when the beatings took place. Often, it was their word against Eliza's. Twice that week, Eliza had taken Richard to see a doctor. And although this professional's fee for five minutes of prodding was more than she earned in two days' work, as the diagnosis was uncertain, the wheezing boy was given a mild decongestant and Eliza was told to bring him back if he got any worse. On the odd nights that she had him home, sporadically sleeping, always screaming, and with his mottled skin a vivid mix of reds, purples and blacks, as the common curse of bed sores, lice and fleas nibbled at his flesh, and as a spiking fever inflamed his swollen blotchy torso, even the doctor didn't see the bruises. And so, crippled by the expense of doing her best, she returned her baby to Mr. and Mrs. Birch. Every day, 11-month-old baby Richard would cry. And every day, the Birches would beat him. On Friday the 7th of October, at roughly 4pm, just three days into their care, two lodgers at 6 Little Dean Street would witness the abuse. Anne Dakin, who lived opposite, and Lydia Armstrong, one floor above. Within the hard echoey confines of their tiny first floor back room, every sound echoed. From the baby's cries, to the couple's vicious screams, to the hard slaps as rough hands smacked his soft bare flesh. As the little boy endlessly cried until he could cry no more. By now, through threats and fear, the whole house had reluctantly become accustomed to its tears. But what Lydia would see next was truly awful. Having pulled a pitcher of water from the communal drum in the basement, 
as Lydia slowly crept back up the creaky stairs, for fear of incurring the birch's wrath. Hearing its pained screams, muffled for an interminably long time, only to cut the air as sharp and loud as ever, as if the little boy was fighting for his life. As Caroline screamed, it won't silence, make it quit. And a furious drunken Joseph barked at the boy, you little bastard, I am the master of you. Lydia peeped through a small crack in the wall. Inside their pitiful little lodging, she witnessed Joseph. His brown toothy shards all bared, his reddened glassy eyes all glared, his heaving brutal bulk towering tall as the tiny wailing tot cowered between his feet on the rough splintered floor. Yanking up the terrified boy by its pale thin arms, like it was a ragdoll, being gripped in his hairy fist, Joseph smacked the little boy's soft head against the hard wooden skirting board, smacking his skull down again and 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 again until having cast him aside, the little boy lay limp and silent. Once more, nobody did anything or said anything to Eliza or the police. Joseph denied he was there that night. I was at my brother's in Borough Road. Caroline pleaded her ignorance. I never touched it, not once. And their family swearing in court that both were elsewhere at the time of each beating. We was at the theatre. He was helping me down the market. Our mother can vouch, so he was. Only the lodgers, Lydia and Anne, would tell a different story to the court. One about the slaps, the smacks and the screams they heard every single day at 6 Little Dean Street. On Saturday the 8th of October, as Eliza had eaten less to afford more, only to earn less as her work slowed, during one of her brief visits, whilst washing her wheezing boy, the fatigued woman thought she saw bruises on the mottled swollen skin of his skull. Paying more than she could afford for a doctor to dismiss this abuse and state the obvious. Seeing all of the symptoms she dreaded in her little boy, aches, swelling, limpness, sweating, shivers and a high fever, just as she had with her three dead babies before him. Eliza suspected that baby Richard had a swelling on the brain. And he did. Only this fatal swelling of the brain wasn't caused by a fever, but by his carers. And with his frail little body, too weak to fight off his injuries, as his broken mother was tossed back into a vicious circle of an unjust system from which she would never escape. In order to work, to earn, to barely live, and if she was lucky, to survive, she was forced to return her baby back to the birches. But by Thursday the 13th, everything would change. At one o'clock, from the first floor back room of 6 Little Dean Street, the caustic scorn of Caroline and Joseph was as loud and abusive as ever. 
Their slaps were as hard, their wrath was as bitter, and although muffled, the little cries from the baby's lungs was weak. Being silent and still, suddenly his tiny body tensed, and as a foam of frothy white liquid formed about his lips, with every one of his tiny muscles thrashing violently, baby Richard was enveloped in a convulsive fit, and for once, Caroline and Joseph's mouths fell silent. An hour later, Caroline went to 3 Peter Street to tell Eliza that her child was unwell. Not dying, not fitting, not beaten within an inch of his life, just unwell. Seeing the silent tot wrapped up in his cloak with barely a few pale features peeping out, she held him in her arms, cradling her limp little boy. But by the morning, having suffered a second fit, 11-month-old baby Richard was dead. Grieving the loss of her fourth of seven babies, Eliza viewed her little boy's cold body in the surgery of Dr. Wakeman. But even as a layman, having witnessed death by brain fever three times prior, she could see that his symptoms were not right. With his body cold, being less red and swollen, the mottled bruises to his arms, legs, back and head were unmistakable. A post-mortem confirmed that the bruising was caused by beatings over several days. And although his symptoms were consistent with brain fever, with no evidence of any diseases except for a cold, the fits and bloody congestion in his brain was attributed to his head being smacked hard against the skirting board. Tried at the Old Bailey on the 27th of April 1853, for the charge of slaying a male bastard child named Richard, although Eliza was interrogated by her accusers and condemned as an unfit mother and a liar, she stood her ground and both were found guilty of murder. The life of baby Richard, a bastard whose surname was never determined, was deemed so unworthy that although they should have been executed, Joseph and Caroline were sentenced to just four years in prison. Joseph was sent to HMP Portland in Dorset, Caroline to Brixton Prison, and on their release, they married and moved to Warwickshire, where they had three more children and died in their fifties. Being too poor, baby Richard was buried in an unmarked grave with several strangers somewhere in London. And although his mother, Elizabeth Higgs, had done everything she could when faced with a difficult and insurmountable situation where the odds were always stacked against her. Sadly, being a nobody who meant nothing to no one, she vanished from history and her fate is unknown. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. The episode is complete, so feel free to switch off now. But if you'd like to know more details about this case, as well as listen to some meanderingly aimless unscripted waffle about cake, 
coots and canal-based things. Please stay tuned for Extra Mile after the break. Before that, a big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Svetlana Bereskaya, Philippa Chapman and Paul Morrissey. I thank you all for your support. With a special thank you to Amanda Jane King for your very kind donation. And also a big thank you to everyone who continues to listen to the podcast, to review it and share it, as these are all the things that keep the podcast alive. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening and sleep well. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. That's good. Yay! stretchy time oh i should really have a stretch halfway through but maybe that's my celebration from now on maybe that's it maybe i finish recording an episode and then i have a little stretch it's quite nice to have a stretch isn't it it's weird isn't it it's a nice thing in the morning when you wake up and you go oh you have a nice stretch and it's before you realize what the day is going to bring you just have a uh, a uh a stretch and you go mm, that's nice um hello everyone welcome to extra mile uh the extra bit after the episode, episode's been done. You can switch off now if you want to. But if you want extra stuff, extra details, some facts, some trivia about the case, some waffle as well. Uh, but this is the uh, unscripted, unedited bit. Uh, I'm going to make a tea in a bit. I'm going to have a cake. 
so let me do that now. I'm going to open up a window as well because it's a bit stifling. It's going to be a hot one today. We're just about to get hot. So, um, tea on, tea on, fly spray out, uh, water in. Glug, 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 glug. There we go. All good. Gonna have some Yorkshire tea. Lovely. Good. All good. Cake, sugar, all the essentials. There we go. Powdered milk, of course. It's a little bit sad today because I bought some cakes yesterday. I thought, well, you know, by by the co-op, I'll get some Belgian buns. But oh dear, I bought them, and then I, normally what I do is I buy things on the way home. But I picked them up. And then I went on a nice walk, so I always have a good walk in the afternoon and evening to make sure that I sleep well. And all the icing's melted off. So all the icing is now in a big kind of glob at the end, So I, which is fine, you know, I'll lick, I'll lick all the glob off later on, but it means the cake has got no icing on it, which is a bit shame. Any, anywho, right, uh, update. Whoa. Uh, I've moved, I've moved away from Shitsville, as I like to call it, because I was up by the sewage plant before, which was fine, you know, they, they try not to make it too smelly. But it was just getting a bit much. I'd been there about a week. You'd, it wouldn't smell too bad. I'm going to open another window. It wouldn't smell too bad. And then you kind of get, suddenly the wind would change and you'd get a big old, big old whiff. And you just go, oh, geez, it was disgusting. Uh, and I've got neighbours on either side who don't seem to move their boats. They seem to have been there for, I know they've been there for about five or six weeks now. And they've both got dogs and I love dogs, but their dogs seem to shit everywhere. And there was, a, when I moored up, there was a big shit outside my boat, which stunk into the boat. And when I moved, there was another big shit, literally on my mooring pin. <sighs> and also, because uh, of the, the place where it was, there was a lot of flies there. So I used it all, literally one, I bought a big can of fly sprayer, shut the boat, closed all the windows, sprayed the boat, left it, went for a walk, because that's what you're going to do to kind of get rid of all the flies and all the shit like that. And then I came back in and the flies were still kind of sitting there. They, they don't seem to give a shit. So yeah. So now I'm in a place where there's less flies, which is good. Oh, thank God for that. Uh, what else? What else we got? Um, oh, uh, you can. Uh, I'm going to put a link uh, in the show notes, but you can go to the the website as well. We've got Murder Mile face masks now. So if you want to stay, uh, you know, go, uh, healthy and compliant uh, according to the rules, you know, especially in the UK because you're meant to wear uh, masks in shops. Uh, but not not all shops. It's very confusing about where you went about them. But if you do, if you do want to uh, have a, a, a face mask to help you out, there is now Murder Mile face masks. Uh, you can get it through the the uh, Threadless account that I have. There'll be a link hopefully in the show notes. And each donation, uh, there's a donation. Uh, each purchase, a donation goes to Medshare, which is a humanitarian humanitarian organisation which uh, is helping to save lives, which is a good thing as well. So you can do good things. Uh, and you can look stylish while wearing a murder mile mask. Very exciting. Uh, they are flying off the shelves at the moment. Uh, I don't make much off it, but it's, you know, it's not about making money. I wish it was. Uh, right. Next up, uh, murder mile keevings. Very exciting. I've got a very small select batch of murder mile keevings. Um, a select group of $25 patrons have all got their, their, their special keevings. Uh, and there's a few extra people who have as well. But what I've started doing is I've, I've added the Murder Mark Keevings 
to the Murder Mile mug of goodies that you can buy as well. For a limited time only, if you buy a Murder Mile mug of goodies, <gasps> you get the exclusive Murder Mile keyving as well, which is very exciting. Uh, what else we got? $25 patrons. I've, I've spent a long time trying to work out what... Hang on. Uh, tease up. I put my water in. There we go. Then let that stew for a bit. So yeah, uh, if you're on my Patreon account, well, I, I've been trying to work this out for a while because, you know, there's different levels of patrons. You can be three, I think it's $3, $10 and $25. And $3, you get you get a thank you card full of goodies from me and you get all the kind of online stuff that I do like, uh, you know, uh, uh, location videos and crime scene photos and there's a script every week. Do you know, you get quite a lot for $3. And for $10, you get all that plus uh, you get uh, uh, early access to the, the early episodes without adverts, which is great. And you get some other stuff on top of that as well. But with $25 patrons, you get the mug and all that. But I, I, I was just like, they seem to be paying more and I don't seem to be giving them as much as I really should. So what I've started doing, there's only a handful of them, but they get secret videos every week now. So each week I do a special secret video. This week's one was me doing some recording of, of, of me recording sounds on uh, Baker Street. Uh, and these are all little videos that no one else is going to see. These are, I'm not going to put them on my youtube account they're kind of secret and they're for the the special patrons so uh there's different tiers of uh pa patronage on there so if you want to become a patron please do you can support the podcast uh all the money goes to kind of uh buying equipment and you know the the web hosting and stuff like that all the expensive stuff that uh costs a bloody fortune to run this podcast so uh yeah if you fancy doing that but if you don't no problem at all it's you know uh, simply by telling your friends about this podcast is you know personal recommendations are invaluable you know you can't buy stuff like that if you could the big the big corporations would do it yeah uh a little quick one here just a, a congratulations to eric from cult with no name as you know cult, cult with no name do uh bulk of the music on the murder mile series they do the main theme tunes that you list to start and end music stuff like that uh eric and his wife have just had their first baby which is very exciting uh we've always joked for many years because obviously uh johnny has already got two anyway and there's just kind of you know um all, all growing up but when when johnny's first baby was born I, I said oh eric this would be great if you and johnny uh have kids not together separately obviously i said instead of cult with no name they could be called cult with no nappy and that'd be great so it's, it's it may start now joe uh, jo uh, johnny's kids and eric's child so that's very exciting very exciting uh we're gonna go into some questions and stuff like that shortly um just to say, if you haven't had a chance to do a, a, a review of Murder Mile, it is very much appreciated. Um, loads of people write lovely reviews. It's really great, and it really helps get us up the charts. And you know, because we're fighting against companies like Wondery, and you know, they they have they spend millions on their advertising, and you know, we do it for free. Uh, occasionally, we 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 get. Uh, good and bad reviews i was reading some bad reviews that i've got and some bad reviews that other podcasts have had and sometimes it can be a little bit do you know people may not like it the podcast that's fine everyone's got an opinion sometimes people's they write a review and you just think why did you do that well um one of them on a fellow podcasters one site says absolutely podcast but you did an advert for brexit and i'm angry so they got a one-star review because of one advert they had no control over 
very bizarre very bizarre uh i got someone downgraded me because they didn't they didn't in particularly enjoy one episode out of 130 i thought that was a bit unfair anyway uh i got two recently one of them i did a little bit of research on this someone um was upset with episode 100 about the Amaritza massacre and they, they said because uh, i dared to say that a member of the british army had killed unarmed civilians which was true because this was you know, the, this court trial was brought forward by the British Army and tried by them. You're very upset about that. Wrote, wrote me a one star review and then I think he got his buddy to do one as well. So that's bumped me down the charts. So if you haven't had a chance to do a, a review on iTunes or, or, or your podcast platforms, that'd be really helpful just to kind of bump us back up a bit. That would be really helpful. No worries if not. No worries if not. It's not a problem. Ooh, right. Ooh, grab me tea and then we'll do the questions. Right. Uh. Oh, come on. Stew a little bit more. There we go. Right, right. Let's get going. I was trying to get this episode done before. There's a dog down there that's barking. And I know that his dog barks a lot. And then the guy moves his dog and the dog comes near and near and he just starts barking past every boat and it's really annoying. Whoa. It's weird. I'm on. I'm on a flight path to a little airport as well, so I have to pause every time the little aircraft go over, and I could hear some geese flying in, and I was like, "No! If the geese land right next to the boat, I'm screwed because there's nothing you can do." Right. Let's get these questions done. Uh, some of the questions may not be in the episode because I may edit them out. Uh, some I may ruin in this next bit when we do the uh, the behind the not the behind the scenes the questions about. Bleh. The episode. Right. Okay. Question number one. Get yourselves ready. Question number one. What were Eliza's three possible surnames? What were Eliza's three possible surnames? So one of them was possibly her birth name. One of them was possibly her married name. One of them was possibly uh, the baby's father's name. Uh, this is a hard episode to research because even the court records are really sparse and they really, they get it wrong in so many places. Uh, question number two. What was Little Dean Street called before it became Little Dean Street? Ooh, ooh, do you remember? That was right at the start. Question number three. Now, this isn't in this episode, but it did appear in an earlier episode of Murder Mile. So let's see if you can remember. Um... Question number three. Elizabeth Higgs lived at 3 Peter Street. But who was murdered there? Actually, I did mention this in this episode. So, uh, yeah, can you remember? Ooh. Question number four. Uh, what are the three other nearest, as featured in Murder Mile, uh, murders to Little Dean Street? I missed out the word murder there. I'll redo that question. What are the three other nearest murders, as featured in Murder Mile, to Little Dean Street? So they were mentioned at the start as well. Uh, uh, question five. Uh, name the two other lodgers at 6 Little Dean Street. Uh, okay. Question six. Which law penalised single mothers and caused Eliza to have to work so hard or risk losing her children to the workhouse? We've met, we've mentioned this law many times in this podcast. Uh, episode three, it was in there. Uh, I've mentioned it quite a few times. I can't remember where though. Uh, question eight: What road? 
Oh, no, so question seven. Uh, question seven. What age were both Joseph and Caroline? Uh, I mentioned Joseph's age, but Caroline was the same age. So what age were they? Uh, it's weird that we have their ages, but we don't have Elizabeth's. It's weird. Uh, what? Uh, question eight. What road did Eliza cross to get from Peter Street to Little Dean Street? Question nine. If you look up, what, not right now, obviously, if you were standing on Little Dean Street. Uh, if you look up, what could you barely see on Little Dean Street? And question 10. How many days wages did Eliza have to spend to see a doctor for five minutes? Good. OK, let's see what time we're doing. I'm going to try and not overrun with this one. OK. Uh, okay, I just uh, a little fun fact for you. So, uh, Little Dean Street, now known as Bourchier Street, um, uh, one street north is is mentioned in the episode. The back of these buildings, where six Little Dean Street is, is Maird Street. A uh, very nice street, obviously old slum street, but it's been kept kind of more original and kind of upgraded. And now it's really posh and nice. Uh, but the back of the buildings where 6 Little Dean Street used to be, behind that, is the uh, fictional home of the, the TV character Stephen Toast of Toast of London. It's in there that he lives with Ed Hauser Black. Uh, if you've never seen Toast of London, check it out. It's very good. It's on 4OD, it's on the, the, uh, which is the uh, British kind of Channel 4 over here. It's a very funny series uh, with Matt Berry. Uh, I really love it. Uh, you can probably check it out online, but if you check, uh, Maird Street is there. That's where Ed Hauser Black's flat is, and just behind that is where Six Little uh, Dean Street is. Obviously, they look very different. Uh, right, okay. Um, extra details in this case. Obviously, uh, this case is really, really confusing because it's all it's all a kind of a he he said she said kind of thing. So. What I've deliberately done with this episode is try and cut out as many details as possible to try and streamline it and make it as logical as possible. So what I've done is, I've, as always, I've focused on Eliza and Richard and their lives and I've tried to tell it from her perspective and keeping that story in. But when you start listening to all the other people, it makes it really confusing. So so especially at the ending, I, I made a kind of a, a big decision. I was like, right, I'm going to... Uh, I'm gonna to have to remove stuff. It's not important stuff. You know, you, you got all the details, but so uh, the night before Richard died. So um, this was stuff I had. So obviously, um, oh, I'm gonna try not to say the name of the lodgers. Trying to remember the questions and not balls it up. So uh, the lodgers all were there as always. Do you know they had said that every single day the baby was beaten. Uh, as mentioned, the baby's cries were a lot weaker now. Uh, they were still being muffled. Um, they would say it, it sounded as if someone was putting either their hands over the mouth or a sheet or something like that. Uh, but obviously the baby was um, getting weaker and weaker. Uh, at about two o'clock. Uh, this was after the baby had had the first fit. Um, Caroline went over to Peter Street, which, as, he men as mentioned, is only like about 100 feet away, went to the house and said, look, your baby's un unwell. She used the words unwell. She didn't say f she didn't say um, having a fit. She didn't say at death's door. Uh, Eliza came back 
the baby was all wrapped up so she couldn't really see much of it it was it was shivering so she was trying to keep it warm so all she could see was the face but even at that point she said she could see she because the baby was getting quite pale she could she could see like a, a quite a, a thick bruise on its cheek obviously being a baby you know the doctor had already said more babies fall over so you know she's she assumed that don't forget this woman is absolutely exhausted as well uh she tried to feed it she said she tried to feed it some soul um just some fish uh she boiled that she tried to give it some water it really wasn't eating anything um this is where it gets really hazy so this is why i took it out um at about seven o'clock that evening the night before joseph had taken some beds from the house on Little Dean Street down to 13 Bond Street in Borough, where his family lived. Uh, he turned up the night that night before with a couple of beds. Um, that night at 7 o'clock, the, the lodgers at 16 Street said that the Birches just, just upped and left. They disappeared. It was almost clandestine. They just kind of got up and left, and they took the baby with them. Um, whether they were stealing it, we don't know. Whether they're trying to hide their crimes, we don't know. Uh, we do, they they said in their defence they said no 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 we we'd always planned we we'd been saying this for weeks that we were going to move they'd only actually been in the in Six Little Dean Street for a couple of weeks anyway so it, it, that seems odd uh, but they did they left there they disappeared they said that they told Eliza about it but Eliza Eliza disputes this she said she knew nothing so and you know um, she said at the time that the baby was very pale uh what else we got um sh uh, so uh, caroline and joseph moved to bond street it's it's weird at this point this is another reason why i took it out if the baby was so ill at that point why it, it doesn't state what eliza does next that seems to be skipped over so it doesn't say whether she was like i need to take the baby to the doctor or whether her and Joseph and Caroline had a fight about this or do you know because for some reason she's told that her baby is ill and then she goes away somewhere we don't know where she goes we don't know what she does and we don't know why Joseph and Caroline kind of just disappear that night they just move out of the flat the flat is empty so uh, we don't know whether Eliza goes back and goes to try and find her baby and it's like where's my baby and maybe she's running the streets trying to find out where they've gone because she doesn't know we don't know that at all so um uh, yeah, so it was 13 Bond Street, just off Borough Road. Uh, that's where they took it to. It was a first floor flat. Uh, um, uh, Joseph's mum was there, Andy's brother. Uh, what else? Yeah, so the baby, had, they'd already seen how weak the baby one was. The baby had already had a convulsive fit. It was about to have its second fit. Um, Joseph's mother... Uh, who obviously has had children herself. Uh, where's that line? Where's that line? Hang on, I've got a line. Yeah, no, they they, they brought it down. And, uh, her decision was, clearly it got a fever, but she was worried, she said that she was worried that its bowels hadn't opened up. It obviously hadn't had a poo. So what she decided to do was feed it castor oil. The baby's having a bloody seizure, you stupid cow. So you give it you give it castor oil, so it has. A, but unfortunately, that was you know, the medical extent to most people of the day. They were they were like you know, people have to poo. They poo properly if you know they're fitting. Maybe it's down to the fact that they're not having a poo properly. You know, fucking idiots. Anyway, uh, what else do we get? So, uh, yeah, uh, in the more. Hang on. 
the, the, a lot of this testimony at the end is is kind of um, Joseph's mum and dad saying what they saw happen, but then trying to deny that they were they were there, that they had anything to do with it. They were like, "Oh, well, the baby didn't seem that that poor when it, uh, you know, the baby was already that ill by the time it came to us, and you know, it's nothing to do with us. Uh, we were just trying to look after it." Well. Uh, even Joseph's mum's like, do you know, did it have a deep sleep? I don't remember. Was it breathing heavily? I don't know. I wasn't there. It's like they're constantly, constantly trying to find ways around it and finding excuses for all this. Um, but unfortunately, baby had had another fit. So in the morning, that was the morning of Friday, the 14th of October, about 9am, uh, Marianne Berman, who was, uh, she was one of the co-lodgers there, uh, her and... Caroline took the baby to uh, Dr. Wakeman. I mentioned him very briefly in there. Uh, to Dr. Wakeman, he had a surgery on London Road, which was their, their local one. Uh, the baby was taken in. The doctor said... Um, uh he said he said the baby lasted the baby was brought in in a dying state. It lasted about half a minute. Uh, by that time, it got very, very pale and he could see extensive bruises bruises on the forehead um, and the baby was determined dead so after that point uh caroline had to go back to three peter street to see eliza and it was there that she told, she told her and said uh your baby's dead so obviously she had to stop whatever work she was doing and come all the way down to borough road which do you know if you're not using public transport and stuff like that it's a bit of a trek uh especially in dead of winter as well um uh so taken to the surgery she saw the baby um obviously uh, it, it says in here as well that um caroline's mum was washing the baby as well why she was doing that we don't know it's like don't know maybe it was kind of a ritual thing or maybe she was trying to hide the blood who knows uh, anyway, uh, Dr. Willocks Wakeham, who was the doctor, he uh, performed the autopsy in his surgery. He did it the next morning. Uh, he did an initial survey of it, um, and he said it, it was still dressed, and he said you could see uh, bruises on the head. Uh, but the next day, when he did a full post-mortem on it, uh, I removed the upper portion of the skull and examined the brain. I found very great congestion of the brain in its membranes and an effusion of the serum into the ventricles of the brain. I examined the viscera. They were all healthy. I found no symptoms of water on the brain and no trace of organic disease. No symptoms of disease of any standing. There was no old disease either. So uh, he's saying that you know the baby's healthy, didn't have any diseases, didn't have the kind of the uh, diseases that... Eliza's other babies had died of i.e. water the brain but the symptom the symptoms were very similar um uh if he says if a child of 11 months old had been beaten day after day for eight or nine days that would likely produce congestion of the brain and effusion such as i found uh, he also said that it's also likely that uh you know being having your head smacked against a a um uh, skirting board several and eight times in succession as the witnesses had, had seen that would also produce it as well uh, 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 inside the brain he said it was very congested um 
the there was a lot of blood vessels that had ruptured and the brain had overfilled with blood hence do you know the fitting uh, uh he said the serum had uh um poured out which is a, a watery portion um in the blood and that uh, the congestion may have lasted for several days so we we're not too sure whether it was the the hitting against the um the uh, skirting board that was the final kind of thing that did it but it's very likely or just many of the several beatings that the child received uh as mentioned in there um the child hadn't eaten for for quite a while um so even though because the mum was still breastfeeding but she'd given food to caroline to wean her baby off the food that was the kind of the purpose of the carer was kind of look after the baby clothe it bathe it get it to bed but also to to wean it onto kind of more solid foods uh there was no food in the baby's stomach except um the milk that she had given it so she'd turn up two or three times a day and feed the baby herself but you know the uh the solid food caroline had given to her own baby um although the 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 money that uh caroline not to give an excuse but the money that caroline was earning off that i think well they say that it was half a crown and when i work that out into kind of modern money it's hard to work it out it's kind of it's it's the equivalent i was trying to work i wrote down the equivalent somewhere it's not much it's like you could probably earn that in a day which is why a lot of people who were kind of carers in that era would have multiple child. So you you go into a house and like someone would have like ten children in there. It's the only way you can kind of make money out of it. Um, yeah, the doctor had said that all of all of the uh, bruises. Had, there's a whole when when the body was laid down. Obviously, uh, if you go back to the. Um, uh minimal episodes where I, I talk about uh the, the stages of of kind of a body decomposing um when you lay a, a body flat on its back and this body had been flat on its back the, the kind of when the circulation stops the blood drops to the lowest point the gravity will take it which is at the back so they couldn't actually see any bruise at the back because all the back there was kind of red and purple and dark but the <coughs> the top half of the baby was incredibly pale so the doctor could really see all the bruises by that point and it was uh he said do you know those loads of bruises many of them have been there for like four or five days at least um there was originally a coroner's inquest that was held at the Globe Tavern on uh, Borough Road. That was quite common in the era. Uh, many, many, many inquests and trials were held in pubs because it's like, you know, uh, with the, 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 the beating of the bake, baker's wife, that was held in a pub. All in that era because it was, it was a room. That's all they needed was a big room. You get you get everyone in there saying what they need to say and it's all decided then and quite often you'd have the body laid out in there as well so you know the jury can come in and look at the body and go oh i see the marks uh and then they'd have a pint afterwards lovely uh anyway that was held at the globe tavern on borough road in in southwark uh so that's just south of the water just, just literally on the thames uh birch admitted that he had beaten the child uh, and the verdict was that the deceased child had died of consequences of the assaults committed upon it by Joseph Birch and Caroline Nash. Uh, the coroner said the verdict amounted to manslaughter, and they they were lodged during that trial at Horsemonger Jail, which is on on uh, in Southwark as well. Uh, that's a notoriously brutal prison. Uh, proceedings took six hours in total. So because the coroner's inquest had said 
this is a manslaughter, therefore it was a criminal trial, therefore it had to go to the Old Bailey. So that was seven days later, went to the Old Bailey before Mr Justice Creswell, who uh, I believe also did the um, the Brutal Baker um, trial as well. And Mr Justice Williams, uh, as mentioned, Joseph and Caroline were found guilty and they served four years penal servitude. That means basically hard labour in prison. Uh, the charge was feloniously killing and slaying a male bastard child named Richard. Even in the documents, Richard doesn't have a surname. Sometimes they call him... Some, it's weird. Sometimes they call him Richard... Oh, I was about to do it then. They get In there, they give him the three different names. Um, and sometimes they just call him Richard. And sometimes they just call him the bastard child. Um, I. Uh, what else we got? What else is, is there that we can go through? Uh, yeah, as mentioned, uh, as part of the defence, Caroline and Joseph, they could stand up and they could question the witnesses as well. And they could question um, the the grieving mother, uh, Elizabeth, um, which is kind of, kind of quite quite cruel. But it's not something that we do anymore. But it's something that in that era you could do. You, you know, is, you st- you're defending yourself. You've got your, your judge, your, your lawyer there, but you're defending yourself as well. So... Uh, so it could be quite cruel. Um, as we know, uh, as mentioned, R- uh, Richard's burial is unknown. His death certificate uh, unknown. Uh, buried in a pauper's grave. We know that because uh, he was poor. He would have been buried with multiple uh, other people who were unknown as well. Where he was buried, don't know that. Uh, it wouldn't have been listed. He wouldn't have had a gravestone. Could be anywhere. Uh, Joseph Birch was sent to HMP Portland in the on the Isle of Portland in Dorset. Uh, Caroline Nash, she, she was actually sent two prisons. Uh, she was sent to the the female convict prison in Brixton and Fulham Refuge in Fulham. Uh, but in autumn eighteen fifty seven, so just after they left prison, literally after they left, they married, um, and then they moved to Foles Hill in Warwickshire. Uh, their young son Joseph. Uh, was nine years old by that point. Uh, they had three more children, Harry, Albert and Hannah. They both uh, got work as women, women? Women. Uh, ribbon weavers. Um, oh, and after, after... Oh, didn't notice that. And then uh, No, that's wrong. Uh, and then they died in their mid-50s, but oh, we're still unsure of those dates. Uh, but as for Elizabeth unknown because because we don't really know what her birth name is if that's correct we don't know her married name if that's connected we don't know the baby's father's name <coughs> they never listed her um uh, date of birth she doesn't appear in any censuses i had a kind of rough the problem is higgs is oh i gave it away then uh higgs the surname that doesn't matter uh was it, it's quite a, a a popular name in that era so there's a there was a lot of richard higgs in that era there's a lot of elizabeth was a huge name elizabeth eliza uh, i've also got her down here as mary as well she's listed as elizabeth mary mary elizabeth uh, just so many different names for her so it was a real nightmare so in the end i i, I almost thought i found her over in marleybone but it that turned out not to be her at all um she there's a lady over there who was married and had got three kids who were still living but it wasn't them unfortunately uh so what a case quite a sad one um so let's go let's go and do the questions okay 
first one I've partly given away anyway. Uh, question number one. What were Eliza's three possible surnames? So, we have Higgs, Ryle and Banks. Higgs is possibly her married name. Ryle is possibly the father's name, surname. Banks is possibly her, her birth name. But we don't know. Uh, or they could just all be mistakes because there's a lot of spelling mistakes in there and there's a lot of confusion, even in the court documents. Uh, question two. Uh, what was Little Dean Street called before it became Little Dean Street? Do you remember? Ooh. After it became Little Dean Street, it obviously became Bouchier Street. But prior to being Little Dean Street, it was called Milk Alley. Yes. Apparently there was two churches in there. One was a uh, a French church, uh, but there's nothing on there now. If you have a look at the video online on on the on the U- my YouTube account, it's it's modern. It's it's still thin. It's still dirty. It's still the same shape that it used to be, but it, but there's nothing there. It's very dark and dingy and a bit grubby. Um, question three. Now, as mentioned, this is not in the episode. Oh. But it is in an earlier episode of uh, Murder Mile. Uh, Elizabeth Higgs lived at number three Peter Street, but who else? But who was murdered there? This was in an earlier episode. I, I as I was going through this, I realised I had actually written it into this episode. Uh, this is from episode uh, fifty-eight, and that's Jacqueline Beery. So, if you remember Jacqueline Beery, those uh, it was a uh, 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 brothel. Uh, there was normal a guy went in there normally he'd go in there and see his favorite prostitute she was on holiday she'd loaned it out to Jacqueline Beery if you look at the pictures even the, the autopsy picture even in her autopsy she looks stunning she absolutely does really gorgeous I, I'd never thought I'd say in my life her autopsy pictures look gorgeous but you know she's a very very stunning lady um he went in there and he, he for some reason this guy got really angry that it wasn't his favorite prostitute uh so he got a poker and bludgeoned her over the head that was that episode so that's the same flat same flat three peter street it's weird when i was researching this case i was like that can't be the same place it's like yep it's not the first time we've had multiple murders in the same place so uh that's why that's why even though we're extending murder mile out into kind of the west end and stuff like that so that's why i'm still this the, the nucleus of it is kind of still Soho. So uh, next week's episode features Soho as well, a little bit of Baker Street. Um, there's, Soho will just keep coming back. We'll keep coming back to it. I've got some new episodes for next year as well, which are still back in Soho as well. Um, question four. What are the three other nearest murders, as featured in earlier episodes of Murder Mile, to Little Dean Street? So, we've just mentioned Jacqueline Beery, so there's that one. But also, we have, uh, the back of this is the Admiral Duncan Pub, which is the bombing, episode five, I think, or four, could be four. Uh, Dutch Lair, which fe- well, a, a version of which features on the uh, much-missed Murder Mile walks, but also, I think that's episode four or five as well. Uh, and then you've got Richard Rhodes Henley, the randing Canadian sailor, which is literally just around the corner. It's like you go up and left and it's a couple of a couple of uh buildings up so that was the randy canadian sailor Whew. question five name the two other lodgers at number six little dean street 
They were uh, Lydia Armstrong and Anne Dakin. Now, obviously, because uh, it was a five-storey building and they were, there's roughly between 20 and 30 people living there, only those two gave evidence because they were the ones who physically saw and heard things they were the nearest they were always there they they gave the best testimony which is why they were why they were there but there were roughly 30 people living in the house so a lot of people heard this abuse and did nothing uh question six which law penalized single mothers and caused eliza to have to work so hard or risk losing her children to the workhouse sorry i had pate on toast this morning it's very nice but it's made me very burpy uh the answer is uh, regarding which law, not my burps. Um, which law? It was the Poor Law Amendment Act of 1831, which we've mentioned many times before. Uh, question seven. What age were both Joseph and Caroline? As mentioned, they were the same age. Uh, but I only mentioned Joseph's age. Uh, they were 22 years old. Question eight. What road did Eliza cross to get from Peter Street to Little Dean Street? Obviously, if you know Soho, you'll be able to work it out in your head. But if you don't, hopefully you heard it. And it's a street we've mentioned many times before. One of the Blackout Ripper's victims was murdered on the street. It was, of course, Wardour Street. But uh, in the 1700s, this was originally known as Coleman Hedge Lane. Mm. there's a nice nice website uh called a british history and you go into it and it, it's got all the details i use it a lot i go in there and it, it, if like it it breaks things down into individual streets so places like soho which have been there since the 1600s it goes through and like every single street it tells you where the street comes from what it was originally you know who owned what field who put the first building there it's really interesting uh so i get a lot of details from that question nine if you look up what could you barely see on little dean street that was mentioned very early at the start there was of course daylight this street i don't there's no pictures of what the street looked like at all uh on the, the for patron subscribers i've put some pictures of there on there of some uh some london alleys kind of victorian ones but this is kind of pre-victorian street so these buildings were kind of 1700s they were about to get derelict so it was kind of uh by the time it was 1850s they were derelict they were falling down but it was kind of the uh, because they're on a tiered system and they're wooden it's kind of the foot on the foot on the ground floor you kind of got the ground floor and then maybe like a foot or a half a foot out it comes out it juts out and comes forward and then the person above you their their floor is like it's step it's like it's like reverse steps that's a better way of putting it isn't it it's like it's like a set of steps in inverse so that so the houses are going kind of getting nearer and nearer so even though the the street is five feet wide by the time you get to the 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 fifth floor because this as mentioned this is to stop when someone tips their bucket of shit out of the window because there wasn't a sewer system onto the street below it's to stop shite being tipped onto your neighbor's windows below so that's why it's a tiered system but as the buildings get taller the 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 street gets thinner so by the even though the street's five feet wide by the time you get to the top of the house in some places it can be two feet wide uh so i've put some pictures on there that some of them are the kind of victorian brick buildings which are kind of not right um uh but we've got buildings in uh what's it called 
the rookery over in St Giles, which was a slum. We're going to do a case that features in the rookery very soon, and that was one of London's worst slums. That's a, that's a really horrific story. I think that's in like two or three episodes' time. Whew, right. Uh, oh, uh, question 10. How many days' wages did Eliza have to spend to see a doctor for five minutes? The answer was... Two days wage. Oh, so uh, uh, it's, as mentioned before, this is the days before the the birth of the National Health Service. So, um, if you were sick and poor, basically you were screwed. Uh, thankfully, we have the the wonderful National Health Service. Uh, so, if we get sick, we can just go to the doctors and we get all of our free health care and we get fixed. And even if you have horrific diseases, it's all paid for. Thank God. Um, so, but unfortunately, in Eliza's era, every time you went to see a doctor, you had to pay. Every time you wanted medicine, you had to pay. As mentioned in here, like the doctor gave her, a, it was called a tonic, but when I looked at it, it was just like basically just a mild decongestant. Really, I mean, it wasn't even a good one. Not the kind of ones we can get off the shelf today. It was just like, you know, it's basically just uh, honey and you know a bit of alcohol. It's like oh, great. But so she's paying a good money on that. And is that going to cure water on the brain or, you know, brain contusions? No, of course not. So uh, all of her money was being wasted on this shite. And, you know, she wouldn't have been able to afford to take her take a child to the hospital to get it checked at all. So, you know, she she was screwed from the start. So, uh, yeah, um, that I think is that episode. Yes, that's that episode. So. I'm going to have a cake. Ooh, I've overrun. I've uh, I've talked a lot. I've, I'm going to have some cake. I'm going to have a tea. I'm going to shut up because I've been waffling for a long time. Hope you all enjoyed that. That was all good fun. Uh, stay safe. Be good. Uh, have a good day. Okay, bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.